It's the 11 Dubcast! Yay! It's yeah. the 11 Dubcast! Yay! I'm Johnny Ginner. Hi, I'm Michael Citro. Hey, let's let's talk about Ohio State's magnificent, incredible win over the Minnesota Golden Gophers, including Cardale Jones' ascendancy into the Heisman Trophy candidate conversation. Never in doubt. Never in doubt. Uh, you know, those 187 yards of passing, will that'll do it, all right? That'll get the conversation started. So, I don't know. I mean, look, they won. Yeah. Okay, yay, Yeah. first of all. And I thought some people thought this might be a bit of a trap game. It wasn't. No. High State went out. And, and yes, Minnesota made it more interesting in the waning moments. But this was basically – what's funny to me is that this game was basically a carbon copy of every other game that Cardell Jones started <laughs> this year yeah. where you're just, like, really irritated the entire game and nothing's happening and it was just incredibly – like, you know High State was going to win. Mm-hmm. Minnesota was getting absolutely nothing accomplished on offense, but it was just, oh my God, it was so hard to watch. Like it, you know, and it being a night game, Mm -hmm. it was not an entertaining game to watch. I I did not enjoy this. No, it wasn't. It was kind of a, a, you know, forced watch or a hate watch, if you will. Uh, But yeah, you're right. It's like, you know, the the team goes out and you're never really worried that they're going to lose the game, but you're just thinking... If they just get out of their own damn way, they'll just start winning by like three touchdowns, then four, then five, then more. Right. Um, and I mean, look, they could like, never do that. They could never get out of their own way. Yeah. And here's the one thing that I want to say: it's not like Ohio State can't lose to these teams, right? Like there are certainly games where they're close and they're playing inferior opponents, and sometimes they go, "Well, crap, maybe they actually might lose this one." But when the other team is getting literally nothing done. On offense, and again, that was maybe the the most entertaining part of the game to watch was the defensive line playing extremely well, mm-hmm. and the cornerbacks for the most part playing very well. You know, that's entertaining, that's fun, but I never this game was never in doubt for me at all. No, and it was it was just a matter of when are they going to get that spark, and Von Bell provided right. that spark, and then you know then they kind of settled down and started dominating, and then you know then they when they had the chance to absolutely start you know, putting them on, on beat down notice. That's when Cardale had the fumble and then things got a little dicey at the end and the, and they started right. sputtering a little bit, but it was never, a, there was never a moment in that game where I thought, Oh my God, we could lose this game. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that's the benefit of having watched them play these types of games all year. It was, it was just, uh, you know, that you never really got too nervous. You were just like, all right, get your crap together, get the win and get off the field. Um, I thought it was interesting that that Cardale Jones to me played Saturday night like, and and I know this is going to be an odd comparison because they don't look anything alike or really have the same build or anything. But I thought he I thought it was a Guyton esque performance <laughs> out of Cardale in that Guyton was actually way more accurate though. Cardale was twelve for twenty two, right? Like yeah. he he knew how to like. He could hit those intermediate passes with almost 100% accuracy. He had no arm whatsoever. but <laughs> Yeah, I, the reason I, I say that is because it, it, he actually went and did some things on with his legs, and I think that really kind of got yeah, him started. That's fair. That's it, fair. it got him started, and like the long touchdown run that's, that salted the game away, it was like one of those mm-hmm. Kenny Guyton runs where it's like, okay, cool, it's oh good, we're getting good good yardage on this down. Oh, it's a first down, cool. Hey, he might actually score on this play. Right. <laughs> that's that's kind of the way it went, and uh Threw in a little shifty move there too. Showed a little, you know, showed a little quickness. A little shake and bake. Shake, shake and bake. Yeah, I, I thought that Cardell actually played a, a decent game. Yeah, he still missed some throws and, you know, missed some guys, especially slants. He seems to struggle with slants. Uh, he just because he rifles it in there. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many times he overthrows a dude because he's just like trying to throw it through their chest. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> he had one. I, I saw on Twitter people were complaining that Michael Thomas had a drop, and it was like, okay. You try to catch the ankle ball that's been thrown at at you like at <laughs> right. 200 miles an hour. Um, yeah, and he still finished with twice as many catches as anybody else on the team. I mean, you know, it, I don't know. I, it was it was a lethargic, weird game that has been the norm for most of the season, and I think it illustrates why JT Barrett became the starter because the team's just not the same with Cardale Jones and. Look, I don't want to put it all on Cardale. I mean, obviously he struggles with some accuracy issues, especially when it comes to intermediate and short-range passes. Mm-hmm. But the personnel isn't there either. I mean, if you look at the wide receivers, I mean, that's severely depleted. You don't have a true deep threat. I mean, Braxton Miller, granted, had that one spectacular catch. Mm-hmm. And 
can stretch the field. But without a Devin Smith, without a guy to do jump balls and that kind of stuff, it almost feels like Cardell is missing a huge element of what makes him successful as a quarterback. And I think that was kind of evident. I mean, Mike, you know, on that fade, right, that they, he threw to Michael Thomas in the, the back of the end zone, th- that was a perfect throw. That was a perfect throw. And you can tell that he's super confident in making those types of throws. Mm-hmm. But everything before that, you know, all those small intermediate throws out of the back, whatever, it just doesn't, for whatever reason, seem to work for him that well. And and he needs a guy, he just needs to be able to go deep. He needs to fun sling it. You know, he's got to... He's got to do that old sexy Rexy stuff and just let it rip. Yeah, I'd like to see him actually, though. I mean, he's when he's had his opportunities, he's underthrown long balls, and that's that's a big issue because you know he's got the arm, but for whatever reason, right. he's not just letting it loose. He's not comfortable because he had, for example, he had Curtis Samuel, and he underthrew him, yeah. and it allowed the defender to to come back and make a play on the ball. Uh, whereas if you just like just yeah, if he'd it, winged it, it touchdown. Yeah, just bomb it and let the guy run under it. Just. Right. Throw it up there, and uh, he he hasn't been doing that for whatever reason. I'm not sure, you know. It's it's sort of a case of the yips, I think, at this point, where he's just not comfortable doing it, and and every time he he's just overthinking it, he just needs to react and do it. But uh, you know, the the line had a few struggles in pass protection. They had a few struggles in a run game, and you know, Zeke had to really kind of had to had to bust his hump to get his hundred yards. He, I think it, yeah, Zeke was fighting for everything he got. I mean, that was definitely, that was not easy going. Although, granted, Minnesota was putting, like, nine dudes yeah. in the box, basically. They actually did not want Elliott to, to beat them. Yeah, I think he had, like, four and a half yards of carry, which is still fantastic. But it's not Zeke-like numbers. You know, we're used to seven yards of carry at the end of the night. And, right. Uh, which is shows you how spoiled we are, because that's insane. Uh, but when a guy is averaging four and a half yards of carry and you think it's a bad night, it's like, mm, well, give him the ball three times and he's got a first down. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, that's the thing. His long was only 15 yards. So he was very consistent. He was still getting, like, at least four or five most, you know, you know, most carries. So it's not like he was ineffective. I mean, he was definitely grinding it out, getting what he needed. I believe that's, what, his 14th or 15th 100-yard uh, rushing game in a row now, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> like, the fact that you can count on that every game is really insane. He passed Beanie oh, Wells, man. The guy passed, yeah. He's it's his third season, and he passed Beanie Wells on the all-time rushing list. Which is, in of itself, a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Let's talk about the defense, though. The defense, I think, was really the bright spot of the game. They played very, very well. Von Bell, I think, looked ugly on one play, basically, and then he looked really good the rest of the game. Uh, Taekwon Lewis, I thought, was excellent. And then, you know, Joey Bosa, I'm looking at the stat line here. Joey Bosa, I believe, had the one sack, maybe. Or am I thinking that might be somebody else? I can't remember. I but yeah, basically, I, mean, I don't remember if he had a sack, but he, he was hitting Leidner, like, on every play. Yeah, he had a, he definitely had a tackle for loss, but he was he was only, like, three total tackles. But the, the impact that he makes on every play, the quarterback hurries, the, the fact that he requires two blockers to even, like, deal with him, Every single play, a team has to account for his presence on the line. And he's not going to get the publicity this year that he did last year, just because the stats aren't there. Mm-hmm. But I actually think he might be playing better this year than he had than he did last year, just because he is just so dominant. And teams have to worry about him so much. And it's, it's really fun to watch. If you like line play, Joey Bosa, Taekwon Lewis, all those dudes on the line, Dolph was watching had a good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really kind of cool to see them start to gel, especially towards the end of the year. Yeah, Joel Hale and Michael Hill, too, at the nose guard yeah. uh, position, did a good job of stuffing up the middle. I mean, they could not run up the middle at all. No. They, had, they struggled to run the football, and that's what they like to do. That's what Minnesota, that's who they are. They like to run the football and, and then throw the ball to the tight ends, and they had to... Sam Hubbard had a good game, yeah, too, yeah. yeah. They had to rely on a lot of that, and, you know, and... and Here's the thing. If you ask Mitch Leidner at the end of the game, do you guys think? Do you think Mitch that you guys did a great job uh, on Joey Bosa because he didn't get many tackles? He's like, no, I'm going to be one <laughs> solid bruise tomorrow from head to toe right. because of that guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Bosa made his life hell, and that was, and that's what you want. You don't necessarily need to get a bunch of sacks, but if you are harassing that quarterback into bad throws, I mean, Leidner, you know, his stats weren't terrible i mean he was you know 27 44 281 yards that's pretty good but that's only because they had absolutely nothing to do on the ground and you you know granted i think he really hung in there i think he definitely you know 
played well considering the kind of harassment that he was facing. So I thought that was, you know, good for him. And but he's a tough kid. For the, yeah, but for the most part, I mean, they, they definitely kept Minnesota under wraps. It really wasn't until the end of the game when I think a lot of people were getting maybe a little lethargic or distracted that uh, the Gophers were able to, to put some stuff together. But even so, I mean, 33 yards of rushing total is kind of hilarious. Those are those are rushing numbers that you typically don't even see in any college team uh, within the past, like, five or six years. That's That's a real throwback to the mid, like, early 2000s. Uh, under Trestle. So I love that. I love seeing that, especially for a team that has struggled somewhat in run defense uh, as of late. So that was cool to see. Um, I don't really know what it means for the next, you know, two or three weeks, you know, Illinois and Michigan. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're going into Champaign. I mean, Memorial stadium is Memorial stadium. That place is like a freaking wind tunnel. You can't do anything about it. Uh, So that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much they end up running, JT Barrett on that. And then, of course, you got Michigan State and Michigan, which are obviously two huge games. And I, man, that Michigan game is going to be epic. That To see how those two coaches decide to, you know, try to outthink each other and outmaneuver one another is going to be, that's going to be fun to watch. So we've had, you know, I feel like we've had kind of a lethargic season up to this point. You know what I mean? Like kind of a malaise just like, man, kind of season, just because, Ohio State hasn't won the way we've expected them to, but man, these next two or three games, that's it's going to get nuts. It's going to get really crazy, really fast. I'm excited. Yeah, about it'll it. be interesting to see what happens at Illinois because traditionally Ohio State hasn't played their best football in that stadium, and right. not, no matter if the if the Illinois team is good or bad, they've had good teams that have beat Ohio State, and they've had bad teams that Ohio State finished three or four games better than that have lost there. So yep. uh, it'll be interesting because. The thing is, the second half against Penn State and the entire Rutgers game were three complete halves that the Buckeyes put together. Mm-hmm. And and things seem, seemed to be starting to roll along and gel, and the team was starting to play at the level we expected them to. And then JT got suspended. <laughs> right. And then, so, you know, it was a little bit of a slog this week, and we kind of knew it would be. But, um, you know, we'll see if JT can come back in and pick up where he left off, if this team can can – become a buzzsaw at the right time of year, and we're starting to get to that time of year. It's it's imperative that they get it going now because Michigan State's not going to be easy. Michigan's not going to be easy. And then, you know, presumably Iowa's not going to be easy. And that's, that's uh, you know, three games that they need to win to get to where they want to be at the end of the year. And, you know, it's kudos to the Big Ten because the Big Ten has six teams in the top 25 right now. And yeah, one of those teams. And is, they're legitimate teams. That's yeah. not just a result of teams ahead of them like falling out of the race. Right. I mean, and, not, and one of those uh, one of those teams that is not Penn State, which is a team that could actually be in there because they've lost to, you know, Ohio State, Northwestern, which is ranked, and Temple, which is ranked. So, yeah, uh, you know, let's let's not forget them. I mean, I think the Big Ten's having a, a real strong showing, and you know. With in fact two teams in the top five, and you know we look forward to celebrating uh, Iowa giving an extension to Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> yeah, that dude needs more money. He's a poor guy. He's so so poor. Uh, all right, so that's we're going into Illinois. That'll be fun, maybe. <laughs> uh, but let's go into ask us anything. Okay, right, let's, let's answer some some listener questions. I hope they're all about the Illabuck. I do too, uh, Michael. Can you tell our listeners how they can ask us anything? There are two major venues for asking us anything, and one of those is Twitter.com. If you use yes. Twitter.com, you can ask us anything by uh, tweeting us, sending us a tweet, if you will, at at 11dubcast, and that's all spelled out. That's not the numeral 11. That's E-L-E-V-E-N-D-U-B-C-A-S-T after the at symbol. So that's how you do it on Twitter. That's um, very important. Thank you. Yeah, and, and then you can also do it the old-fashioned way by emailing us, and uh, that email is... If you're a nerd and old. If you're an over 50. Um, <laughs> dubcast at 11warriors.com. And once again, you spell out the word 11. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're if you're not very Web 2.0, I guess you could do that. But us cool kids will stick with the Twitters. At some point, you'll uh, be able to Snapchat your questions to us. And that's, that's right. That'll be cool. That's right. Send us a kick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even know if you could do Periscope that. Periscope us, please. Yes, Periscope us. Send us a Vine. Send us a 
What else? What else have we got here? Instagram. Hit us up on Instagram us. Yeah, Instagram us. We have a eleven dubcast Tinder you can you can send us questions to. Um right. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Michael, what what kind of questions do we have this week? Well, I got some questions on Twitter.com here. All right, well, let's do the Twitter ones first. Okay, Ryan Ziegler would like to know if Cardale Jones, JT Barrett, and Braxton Miller were animals, what would they be? Ooh, good question, good question. Uh Cardale Jones would be a rhino. Um he would probably be a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus of some sort, a probably irritated hippopotamus. Well, I would say hippopotamus because hippopotami, hippopotamuses uh, seem kind of jolly, but if they're upset and they get their dander up and they, they have some momentum, some forward momentum, they can be very dangerous and, in fact, kill more animals or more men, sorry, than any other animal in Africa. So I would say hippopotamus for Cardell Jones. JT Barrett, I'm thinking like a cerebral kind of animal. Mm-hmm. Um, something that looks very dignified. So oh, maybe maybe an eagle, some kind of hawk, maybe an osprey. He might be an osprey. That'd be good. Oh, I pass ospreys every day. Oh, how about that? Uh, and Braxton Miller, I would say, is maybe like a springbok. He's he's just he's so shifty and bouncy, and you just can't. He's he's hard to get a hold of. So maybe a mountain goat even. Hmm. How about that? Um, okay, <laughs> I was gonna say that uh, Braxton is a cheetah. Oh, okay. Uh, he's got the speed. He's got you know can move quickly laterally and all that kind of thing. And, and it's true. He's super fast. I, I think. And he's got that slender build. I mean, maybe he's not that slender actually. He's a pretty big guy, but he. He's kind of thick. Yeah, he's yeah he's he kind of big. He gets you know it seems like he's slender because he he takes knocks all the time. Right. Um, JT, I was going to say he's a very versatile dude. So I think he's anything you want him to be. So I think he's kind of like a horse because a horse can you can <laughs> you can race a horse. A horse can be like a pack animal. It can pull things. I mean, whatever you need for, you know, a horse can give it to you. A horse is very, um, you know, jack-of-all-trades kind of animal. And then right. uh, I liked your original thing on Cardale with the rhino because trying to tackle that dude when he's got a full head of steam and it's charging at you is probably, yeah. it's probably about as intimidating as trying to tackle a rhinoceros. You're pretty screwed on that, yeah. I agree. So I, I think those are good choices, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure also that in about 20 minutes after we're done with this, I'm going to come up with better ones. I'm going to be really upset with myself. Yeah, well, that always happens. Yeah. I kick myself every night after the dubcast. I stay awake for like three hours thinking of better answers to the ask us anything <laughs> questions. As you should, because otherwise we're not serving our listeners. Well. <laughs> All right. So Mr. Andrew Heyer wants to know, uh, is it hair or higher? What do you think? I don't, know. I don't Maybe he can write to us. Uh, yeah, so you guys are definitely talking about the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Kickstarter to bring back the show, right? Right. Uh, well, we weren't, but now we are. So, Michael, do you have any impressions on that? Because I actually did look it up. I did some research into it. I have never, ever given to a Kickstarter. But let me just tell you that that, that is a Kickstarter I would give give to generously. Uh, yeah. I would I would give 80 or 75, 80% of my income to see the return <laughs> of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I would, I would do that if it were like the original cast. But if you read the fine print, Mr. Andrew Hare and Michael Citro... Uh, they, so Joel Hodson, Hogston, 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 Hodgson. I can't pronounce it, Hodgson, Jogden, uh, Joel is, he owns the property, right? Like he owns the Mystery Science 3000, whatever, but it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be on screen. They would hire new actors for Tom and Crow. I'm out. Okay. And he's asking for something like 12 million bucks. So my point is this, Okay. First of all, I only want to see it. I don't want my fond, fond memories of Mystery Science Theater 3000 being sullied by completely new staff and crew right, right. and not Joel in front of the camera. That's insane to me. And secondly, that's a lot of money to be asking of the general public for Mystery Science Theater 3000. I mean, look, if this they, they had that successful Reading Rainbow Kickstarter, and I'm like all about that because Reading Rainbow encourages kids to read. Mm-hmm. As much as I enjoy Mystery Science Theater 3000... I'm not sure that it performs a needed public good like reading Rainbow. And if it's not going to involve, you know, the guys who were the voices of Tom and Crow, like Trace LeBeau and Mike Nelson, all those guys, they're not coming back, then I'm I'm out. I'm out. Sorry, Joel. Yeah, I love you. But I, know. I need I, I love Joel. And, and I have, and I, but he's not going to be on screen. I know. I liked Mike and I like Joel, but here's the thing. You have to have, Crow T. Robot, Tom Servo, you have to have the originals. 
That's what I'm saying. And for my money, this is if it's my hard-earned money going to Kickstarter, you need to bring back Dr. Forrester and TV Sprank. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how likely that is to happen given how they, they left the show, but I agree. That's I would like to see that as well. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it's, you know... It's a pipe dream. I would love it, but I just, I just don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. So it's, it's sad, but I think that's the way it is. Um, all right. So let's go to our email. We got a couple questions in the email. This is from John. John's got something about uh, the a little 5K race that he wants to do. We'll talk about that a little more next week. I got to do some research into it. <laughs> but his question is. Uh, what is your favorite Braxton Miller moment? We have four regular season games left with him, maybe. I don't know. He said this five days ago, so not four, but whatever. Uh, is it the greatest three-yard run he's ever seen? Is it the spin move? Is it the bomb that beat Wisconsin, or is there another one? Or did we cover this one last week? Uh, I don't recall covering this one because we were talking about um, – I think we asked Pinkus last week about the, um, about the bike – or about this time. Remember. Okay, well then let's then tell you what let's let's see what we got here let's let's do uh, let's do the best Braxton Miller moment. Right, so from the John. best Braxton Miller moment, man. There are just so many, and I can't uh, I can't I don't know that I can narrow it down to one. Here's the one that made me the happiest. Okay. It was the bomb to beat Wisconsin. Yeah, because it was like one of those games where you you know you thought oh they're going to pull, pull off the upset and then no here comes Russell Wilson. And he, he takes the lead late, and oh my God, there's only a minute left, and right. we got this freshman quarterback in there, and then the bomb happens, and you do beat Wisconsin, right? And it was really, it was the highlight of that whole season. Yeah, it was, and I actually, I'm going to go with that one too. I think the spin move is the most insane thing I've seen from him. That that made me laugh the most, aside from the Wisconsin bomb. But the, my favorite part about that, I, I've probably like watched and rewatched that that Hail Mary over and over and over. My favorite part is the grin that he gives after he threw it. Like, <laughs> never in doubt, baby. Like, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. So, yeah, that was hilarious. That was like right around I think uh, Halloween because in that same clip, uh, that same uh, clip, a guy in like cat face paint comes on, <laughs> which is even stupider. And that was just that was hilarious. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was a, it was a Dubgate game, and um, it was oh yeah, it was it, That's it, right. it was insane to me because the cool thing was is like you like oh man, he could have had the first down. Oh wait, dude's wide <laughs> open down there. Yeah, I remember my reaction was like no 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 yay because <laughs> he thought oh he easily has the first down and and he's right. got the sidelines so he can get out of bounds and everything. And then when you look down the field in the can, the well, I because I had to watch it at home. I was in, here in Florida, but I watched the camera pans over and you see Devin Smith is wide open all by himself, and you're like, oh, please get there, please get there, ball. <laughs> and, and it was awesome because uh, you yeah, know it was it, because beating Wisconsin never gets old. Yeah, and it's going to be sad when Braxton Miller graduates and we don't have him around. Because frankly, it's it's been a pretty awesome several years to just watch that dude perform i mean it's it's been hilarious there's certain guys you never want to see leave even though you know they have to and braxton's one of those guys aaron Kraft was one of those guys for me but braxton miller's one of those guys yeah completely agree all right we got one more this is a lengthy one okay and i want to read all of it because he wrote it and he deserves to get the props for it so nick lunsford by the way nick uh is shark v uh shark versus ghost on twitter and i i think that's why he asked this question okay. and maybe why maybe why he has so many opinions on it mm-hmm. uh so he asked this gentlemen coming off the halloween season it seems an appropriate time to ask a question i've been meaning to ask you for a while which are you more afraid of sharks or ghosts this has been a long-running debate between my friends and family and this uh my favorite bar debate uh inspired my twitter handle and this is <laughs> He starts off by telling his opinions on them. Mm-hmm. Ghosts are far more scary. Consider the following. Sharks only present a threat if you're in the ocean. Ghosts, if they're real, more on this later, uh, transcend dimensions. Their theoretical reach is limitless. They may haunt your house, your place of work, ships at sea, etc. Two, there are plenty of places uh, to safely observe sharks in a way that isn't at all scary. The local aquarium, Shark Week programs on the Discovery Channel, educational videos, etc. There is no equivalent to this for ghosts. <laughs> Man, point. I got to tell you something, Nick. <laughs> the, 
the real thing better better really justify what you're saying right now. Uh, if you see one anywhere on TV in your basement, it's going to be terrifying. Three, the risk of death from sharks is statistically negligible. A person is five times more likely to be killed by a cow, ten times more likely to perish in a fireworks accident or die from a falling vending machine, and 47 times more likely to be killed by lightning than by a shark. Mm. And they offered citations, which I'm not going to go into. Never tell me the odds, uh, Nick. <laughs> Four, this is not a matter of whether or not you believe that ghosts are real. It's a matter of whether or not they are more frightening. Okay, I'm going to get into this, Nick. Sharks are certainly real, but pose almost no threat to you. Not scary. Whether you believe in ghosts or not, not sure I do. <laughs> not sure. Uh, if you ever see one, it's probably going to scare the hell out of you. I look forward to your answers. Thanks. Nick. My fear of ghosts is intrinsically tied into whether I believe they're real or not. If I don't believe they're real, why would I have any fear of them? For Look, of course I'm going to put sharks over ghosts because I believe that sharks are a real tangible thing that can eat me. If I don't believe that ghosts are real, I'm not going to think they're scary at all. Number four, you can't invalidate whether they're real or not. All right. Now, clearly you, when you say that you're not sure that you believe that they're real or not, that to me says that you think there's a possibility, which allows you to explore the scariness of ghosts. I, for one, do not believe that ghosts exist. So therefore, I cannot put any kind of like scariness level on something that I don't think is real. Nick, what are you doing? Sharks, clearly. All right. I've seen sharks with big pointy teeth that can bite you and kill you. Like, screw that crap. Come on, man. I don't know, Michael. Are you as, are you as angry about his logical inconsistencies as I am? Uh, I don't. First of all, Nick, don't come at me with your your conclusion before the question. Don't <laughs> come at me with ghosts are far more right. scary. Consider it. Oh, Nick, you're going to. Oh, man. Yeah, don't 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 come at me, bro. With ghosts are more scary, and then give me all the reasons why I should side with you. Just ask me the question. Um, <laughs> Okay, so let's take these points one at a time. Who do you think you are? Here, let's take these points one at a time. Number one, right. it does matter whether, like Johnny said, it does matter whether or not you believe in them. If I don't believe in it, it I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be scared of it. Second thing, I live in Florida. I go to the beach all the time. Of course, <laughs> I always think about sharks. Right. Plus, here's the thing. I don't know how does a ghost kill you. I mean, does it stab you? Does it just go scare you to death? I mean, how does it? I mean, I guess it could possess you. Maybe a shark will eat you. Alive. Right. It will eat you alive, which is a horrifying thing. Yeah, that's way worse. It's it's I so you know, for right there, the shark's got the uh, got the advantage there. Okay, your second point, there are plenty of places to safely observe sharks in a way that isn't at all scary. No, they're always scary. <laughs> what if that glass Here's what breaks? I like. Here's what I like. Okay, so Nick, I'm sorry I'm sorry to be piling on you on this, but number three, you talk about the risk of de death from sharks. How many people have died from ghosts? I'm gonna put that number at zero. <laughs> All right, so I feel like I am uh, infinity times more likely to die from sharks because sharks exist, <laughs> Nick. It's sharks. It's always going to be sharks. Yeah. All right. Um, plus, again, you know, the shark eats you. What does the cow do to you? Fall on you, maybe? I, I, I don't know how the cows are killing people or who they're killing, but, um, you know, it's not by eating them alive, I think. It's probably those idiot Chick-fil-A cows are probably killing people for eating burgers or something. Sure. Um, but, you know, fireworks accident, okay, I'm not John Paul Pierre, uh, so that's not happening. Fall from falling vending machine. I'm not, I'm not tilting heavy vending machines, and, uh, and you know, lightning, again, I live in Florida. That, that is a real concern, but, uh, you know, I can – at least, you know, you're out. You can see the weather. You can't see right. whether the shark's coming up from beneath you or not. True. So, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely sharks, and, uh, you know, to quote Ray Parker Jr., I ain't afraid of no ghosts. That's right. Dun, 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 dun. I, I'll, yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, so, Nick, I appreciate the question, and I, I know you've invested a lot of your time and energy and of your life <laughs> into, this, into this train of thought, but I, I have to invalidate it, and I, I just, I don't know, maybe change your twiddle handler, twiddle, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter handle <laughs> to like something like sharks versus something tangible that exists. Mm. How about that? There's no about such that? there's no such thing as ghost NATO. Okay, joining us this week, as he does every week during the football season, we are as always very lucky to have Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing good, guys. Good. Well, I am glad that you are here because you know. 
we had Cardale Jones. We we had the, a little sousson of Cardale uh, Jones again. <laughs> we had him back for a week. And I think, here's my personal opinion. I, I want to see if you agree with this. I think he played exactly how Ohio State fans wanted him to play, which is to say good enough to win the game, but not nearly good enough for people to think, hmm, maybe he should be the starter. <laughs> next week. You know, I, I think that it was it was hilarious to, to look at the expectations going into this game with Cardell Jones and how yeah. you compare them to, to what the expectations were at the beginning of the season with Cardell Jones and kind of how <laughs> I mean, he's just yeah. he's come back to earth. And, and, you know, I mean, we talked about this probably five, six weeks ago about how those three games, at the end of the season last year were such an anomaly and such a, right. just a you know, like I think I called it a unicorn even, you know I mean? It's just, it's, <laughs> those three things are never going to happen again. And then maybe it took, you know, this, this little uh, bout of, of, uh, of, of just the struggling offense for people to realize it, but I didn't hear anyone really complaining, you know, during the course of the game, like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's just sucking this. People expected it because it just, you know, it's the way it is. And, and, he came in, he did his job, he, he got the offense, you know, the points that it needed. They struggled, yes. Uh, was, it, was it perfect? No. Uh, did, did they, were they able to execute the full offense? No. And, and it's mm-hmm. what you expected of, of, of a backup quarterback, which is kind of what Cardell Jones is. <laughs> so I, I think it's nice that we've, uh, we've at least kind of settled in and we're nine weeks into the season, but at least we've, we've settled into the roles that these guys are playing and, and what they – what they're going to do. And, and Cardell Jones is, is just, he's that guy that came in in the, in the, in the perfect situation last year and was able to rise to the occasion. And now he's, he's a serviceable backup quarterback. Yeah, Matt. Um, the, the big thing for me, I think was the rush defense was phenomenal on, uh, on Saturday and the pass defense. Well, it had its issues with the tight end again. And, and I want to know why, Year after year after year, it seems like we always, always struggle against tight ends. What do you think well, it is? Well, I think that it, it has a lot to do with the style of defense that we play. I mean, it's a very uh, – that, that, that kind of press cover four and the, and the blitzing that we do, it's a very corner-centric kind of defense, and that's the coverage. Uh, your, your safeties are up into the line of scrimmage, and they're looking to, you know, to, to make plays – on those, uh, you know, on the running in the running game, they're looking to make plays in the short passing game and get out and help. Uh, and, and the tight end gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. I mean, you know, we 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 watched. You know, you know, Josh Perry is a lot of great things as a linebacker, uh, a great cover guy. I he he's just he's not right now. Uh, you know, and that that's a skill that he really needs to work on. I think he's a fantastic run stopping linebacker. He's a great pass rusher. He's a really good blitzer. He he's just not a good cover guy when it comes to to, to being able to to get out there in coverage. And and you know, Minnesota has two good tight ends. That's the focus of their offense. That's what they do when they when they throw the football. They don't try to throw the ball outside. They they try to work those tight ends and get mismatches. And and you know, with teams that do that. They're very few and far between, and so it's a little bit of an of an anomaly. We're not going to see another team until Michigan, really, that's going to utilize the tight end in the passing game, and we haven't seen a team all year. So it's almost the way of, I mean, how many people complain about how we don't use the tight end in our passing game? You know, I mean, it's the same thing. There's very few teams that do it, and so when you run up against it, you know, you're running up against that uh, that exception to the rule, and it's, and it's hard for a defense to overcome. You know, I agree with you. I think that the rush defense did a great job. I think that, you know, the front four was able to get pressure all night long as well, and, and, and I think that's a, a positive thing. And I think this defense continues to improve. They're, they, they're doing a very good job of, of playing the games that the game that's called. And what I mean by that is, you know, when they when they sit back and they and they rush four, they're getting pressure. When they blitz, they're getting pressure. So, you know, they're, they're not giving up the, the the big play. You know, I mean, there was one time there, I think, on a on a missed tackle that that, that that one of the wide receivers kind of broke one for about sixty or so. But other than that, you know, I mean, this this defense and these corners, Eli Apple and 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 Conley are doing a really good job. So I think this defense is really starting to come into its own. Do you think? I mean, we've got two huge games coming up in Michigan State and Michigan. And then, of course, you have the game that they're actually playing this weekend, which is Illinois. Do you think there is any real danger of a upset? Is that a serious question? 
<laughs> well, no, no. I, I remember 2007. That was my last game as a student in Ohio State. Yeah, hey, so. Juice Williams didn't walk through that door for the Illini. <laughs> You know, the, no, they're they're a bad football team. They're in turmoil. You know, whether I mean the coaches and the players and everything, they haven't got a lot of talent there. Um, and so, you know, they're in a rebuilding situation. I, I think that that you're going to see a, an Ohio State team that's going to go into Champaign and uh, really with, with a little bit of something to, to to prove as far as this being a, a tune-up game for the stretch run. You know, when Michigan State starts. There's five games left on the schedule that you're looking at to, to win those five games and to be national champions again. This is that tune-up game. You know, JT Barrett, you know, had the week off last week as a as, as part of his suspension. So, you know, he wants to come out and be crisp and, and, and really get back into the flow of things. This defense, you know, I, I mean, they're going to be looking to pitch another shutout and to stay sharp. So I don't think that, that you know, there's very few times in the month of November where a team is, is going to be overlooked because now you're, you know, the, it's starting to really get real. You know, the college football playoff rankings are out. You know where you are. You know what you have to do if you want to be in those four, uh, in one of those four slots. So, you know, September and, and even a little bit in the first of October, you have those trap games and, and the chances for, for upsets. November is a time for serious football, and, and I don't see Urban Meyer letting this team uh, think otherwise. You know, Matt, I have I have two part question actually for you. One is, how much as a player do you actually hear about these trophies, uh, like the Illibuck Trophy, you know, for the trophy games, and and does it really mean anything to you as a player? And number two, what is it about Memorial Stadium that just makes Ohio State teams play like ass. I mean, because they've <laughs> they've really not not done well there over the. I, I'm I'm old enough to remember Ohio State losing five straight games to Illinois, um, and and it's it's not a pleasant thing at all. But uh, especially playing poorly on the road at Memorial Stadium, it's kind of a wind tunnel, and and you know the quarterbacks don't do well there usually. Uh, can you just address those two things for me and put my mind at ease? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's a, it's a tough place to play uh, when there's a talented Illinois football team there. You know, when when those games were, when those five straight games were going on, and that was right before I got here. You know, those were the uh, uh, the, the Kevin Hardy. The I mean, they had some really really good football players. I mean, you're talking about Simeon Rice and first round you know draft picks, guys that had huge NFL careers. You know, that kind of talent isn't at Illinois anymore. They had really good coaching. You know, I mean, they had Lou Tepper, who, you know, was a good college football coach. Ron Zook, who say what you want about Zook, that guy can recruit. I mean, and, and that guy can bring in talent. And he, and he was able to do that at Illinois and at Florida. And, and so those teams aren't going to be there. And, yes, there's a factor. I mean, it's cold there. It's always cold there. You know, the, the wind sucks there. Uh, I mean, it's just it, it's kind of always a, it's a gray. It seems like it's always raining. It's a miserable day there. But uh, – you know, I'm not that worried about this Illinois team just because they're they're not good. They're, it's a bad football team, <laughs> and and they're they don't have talent and they're really struggling to find themselves. And until they get some continuity in the coaching staff over there, I don't think they're going to. And so, you know, the, those days of the you know the late '80s and early '90s, and then you know kind of the upset days when they had some really talented guys there in the mid 2000s. You know that that those days are gone. I mean, what was that? You know, Beckman won like what three games there or something like that in, in five years. It's just, I mean, it's a horrific team. And just because they went out and, I mean, I think they, they beat Purdue last week. I mean, believe me, Purdue is in just as bad a shape. So um, I'm not worried about this football team going to Champaign at all. I mean, they're, they're, that's one thing I think that they do really well uh, under Urban Meyer is they go on the road and, and they they kind of rally around that and, and they wear that as a badge of honor those road games and going into other people's houses and putting up a lot of points and playing well. And, and I think that that's what we're going to see. Uh, as far as the Illy Buck trophy, I had no idea that that existed until probably about five years ago. I didn't know <laughs> it was a wooden turtle or that, you know, there was a fraternity or a sorority that was in charge of it. Or, I mean, you know, none of that stuff. I mean, I don't even, I don't even remember seeing it. I mean, and I don't think we ever lost to Illinois. And I don't remember seeing it my four years in Ohio. <laughs> 
So it wasn't just like, it's not something that, you know, they were bringing out and be like, we have to protect this. No. We must defend the turtle. No, I don't I don't think Coop was, was really into defending the turtle. Like, and, and showing, <laughs> hey, look, you know, these guys got a turtle. We got we to gotta win this. And everybody's like, yeah, what the hell? We're not playing for a turtle. We're trying to win a Big Ten championship. <laughs> Uh, so, you know what? I want to ask you real quick. Uh, this is kind of maybe not – I mean, it's semi-Ohio State related. But, you know, the college football playoff rankings came out. Ohio State's sitting at three, which is whatever. But which is, which is probably where they belong. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I don't, I don't think anybody would really argue that. But Iowa is sitting there at number five. Yeah. How – first of all, how did that happen? <laughs> and secondly, uh, do you think they might be able to make some noise here in a little bit? Well, Iowa has the schedule to set up to be undefeated, you know, walking into Indianapolis on December 5th. I mean, they, they, right. they've got a game against Nebraska, but, but really other than that, they should handle their business. They do it very well uh, running the football. They've got a good offensive line. They've got about a stable of three really good running backs. And, and they do things like Wisconsin used to do back under Barry Alvarez. They, they run the football very effectively, and they play good, solid defense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, does it help not playing Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State during the regular season? Yeah, a little bit. But, <laughs> you know, this Iowa team is, is you know, when, when you look at what they've been able to do, they, they've been able to, to go in against, you know, some of the other teams like a Northwestern who, you know, is, is in that talk and in those rankings. And, and, and you know, they, they didn't fall apart this year after that first loss, and, and which is something new for them. And, and so – you know, I, I think that, yeah, it, it's deserved and, and, and people are looking at it. But, you know, the, the thing about the college football rankings is, I mean, I, I'm not sure why it comes out because, you know, they say it comes out now so, so you can get insights into what the selection committee is thinking. To me, right. it just, it's more confusing than anything. Every week that it comes out, I'm like, what the hell, uh, what the hell does this mean? I mean, it's just <laughs> it's so confusing. And then all of a sudden at the end, they, they seem to get it right, which is great. But it gives me no insight into what their logic is. And like I said last week, you know, you got the number two team and a number four team who you know are playing each other the next week. Why? Right. Why wouldn't you just put the team who you think is going to win in that two spot and then leave the other team, you know, out of it? I mean, and and, and I think that that they're getting it right. And, and I didn't see it. Alabama's number two. I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Bama's Bama's a good two there. I, I think LSU, you know, that that win against LSU, you know, they deserve that. I mean, you know, the, I think Clemson, obviously, with a win against Florida State, they deserve to still be number one. I, you know, I, I don't think that we've got a signature win like one of those to to, to move us above those. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then we've got the opportunity here with Michigan State. Uh, with Michigan and with Iowa coming up, if, if, if all goes to according to plan, to, to probably end up in that one or two spot because uh, Clemson, the rest of Clemson's schedule is like playing, uh, you know, the Division Two, you know, Ohio football playoffs. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Right. I, I take Cincinnati LaSalle over Purdue at this point. I think that <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's you know, or, or Wake Forest or some of those other teams. So, you know, I, I think that's all going to shake out in the end. Um, you know, and, and the funny thing about Alabama is, yes, that was an impressive win against LSU. But Alabama is a pure matchup team. You know, right. you line up any team that's going to run the I formation at them, and they are going to kick their ass because they are built for that. Nick Saban knows how to do it. He coached in the Big Ten. He coached at LSU when they did, you know, when, when the SEC was all I-formation, just downhill, smash-mouth football. That's what he knows to do well. But look at the team that beat him. Not a very good Ole Miss team running the spread. You know, they, they don't match up well still against spread offense. And, and, and they're going to struggle. And so, you know, for the people that are worried about how good Alabama looked against LSU, to me, Bama is a pure matchup team. If they get the right match, and that's, that's going into last year, it was the same way. And that's why I picked it. You know, I picked Ohio State to win by two touchdowns last year, and I was on Alabama radio with Jay Barker, and he's, he's, <laughs> he's asking me why. And I said, because Ohio State matches up very well against what Alabama's secondary hasn't really gotten that much better. Their safeties are still bad. You know, yes, their their front four can rush the passer really well. Their linebackers aren't great covers guys. They're not great in space, and, and their corners are average, and their safeties are bad. And and then when you play a spread team or someone who's able to distribute the ball and work them in space, they're going to struggle. I mean, and, and you saw that 
in, in the home loss against Ole Miss. And, you know, I don't deny them that number two ranking. I mean, I think that you look at, at the, yeah, that one bad loss. We had the one bad loss last year. You know, I think that, right. you know, they mm-hmm. beat LSU. And right now, you know, I think that, that Ohio State fans can look at this in one way. You know, Clemson, if they run the table, they're in. If not, I don't think that there's an ACC team that gets in. No. Uh, you know, there's going to be – the SEC champ is going to be in. I mean, they, they just are. I mean, whether that's, um, you know, Florida or Alabama, that's, you know, the SEC champ is, is, is going to be in, in the playoffs, you know, no matter where that's going to be. The Big Ten champ now is going to be in. I mean, you look at where the rankings are set up for Iowa, for Michigan State, for Ohio State and, and, and Michigan. The Big Ten champ is in. I mean, and, and so that's, you know, you just look at the numbers game and the Big Ten champ is in, and then I don't know what what happens with Notre. I think Notre Dame and Stanford is basically a de facto playoff game there. And I think that you're going to see the same thing in the Big 12 as you saw last year is a round robin. <laughs> they all beat each other. And right. everyone's going to have one loss. And I think that the committee will take a one-loss Notre Dame uh, team, which I, and I think Notre Dame beats Stanford. I think they take a one-loss Notre Dame team whose losses to the number one team in the nation over a one-loss Big 12 team that doesn't play in the, in the championship game. That'll be that'll be delicious. That that the the angst coming out of the Big Twelve if that happens will be absolutely hilarious. Well, if you didn't like, learn your I, lesson, I, would love yeah, I mean, if you didn't learn your lesson last year and, and schedule a playoff game, right? You know, that's on you. You for being stupid. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, Matt Finkus, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it, and thanks for all the good information. That was that was excellent. Always a pleasure, guys. We'll do it next week. All right, joining us tonight, we are really lucky to have Antonio Williams, North Stanley, uh, high school running back from North Carolina, small town of New London, population 600. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm good, man. I'm doing really good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We haven't had like a recruit in a while, and I really wanted to talk to you about uh, not only just yourself and your running style and all that kind of stuff, but one of the big things that I wanted to kind of address first was we had this big kind of blackout. We had the big, cool, you know, recruiting event. We had the new uniforms and whatnot. How was your visit for the Penn State game? Did you enjoy it? Was it a good time? Oh, I loved it, man. You know, I got there around 1 o'clock, and, and the game didn't start till 8 o'clock, and there were people out tailgating already. And, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a heck of a game, you know. Crowd already <laughs> out of that. And then, uh, you know, game time came around, and it was even better than I had expected. Yeah. Well, you know, so here's the thing, all right? We had kind of a debate amongst ourselves about the uniforms and whatnot. Do you think that plays a fact? Like, I'm not saying you're going to choose a, a college because of the uniforms or anything like that, but does that excitement level, does that, you know, atmosphere with the uniforms, with the blackout, does that pay or play any kind of factor into, you know, the kind of college that you want to attend as a, you know, football player? Um, I mean, not really, but I mean, to other guys it might, because it, yeah. it can kind of show, um, that the college isn't afraid to go away from the norm, and, and they're they're comfortable with going outside the box every now and then. Yeah, that because that's one of the things I was really curious about because we do argue sometimes amongst ourselves, especially older guys, you know, like me and Michael. Like, is this necessary? Is it something that kids like? And I, I just I think it's interesting. I, I I thought it was a good time too. We were able to get out there, and uh, I'm glad you were able to to take that in. Um, one more question I have for, I, I, I got a lot of questions for it. I apologize. I know Michael's going to jump in a bit here. Uh, so you're coming from a really, really small like town. Okay. About 600 people. What is it like going from there, you know, where it's, again, I don't, I, I don't want to make assumptions about New London. It might be like the most happiness place in the world, but is there a big like kind of culture shock going from New London to Columbus, Ohio? Um, you know, kind of, but at the same time, you know, I think it's something that I'll easily adjust to. I'm, I'm a person yeah. that I'm comfortable being uncomfortable, and and uh, I think <laughs> that that fact won't won't really matter to me. Yeah, I think that'll serve you well under Urban Meyer. You know, Antonio, you've had a chance now to to watch Ohio State and to see what Urban oh, yeah. Meyer's offense looks like. How do you think your skills translate to to what the Buckeyes do? And do you think you're more like Ezekiel Elliott or more like Curtis Samuel at this point? Um, you know, I think I'd translate perfectly into that offense. I think that I'm definitely more like Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you know, I've got the ability to put my foot in the ground and get down here really quick, so, just as Zeke does. And at the same time, you know, I can turn sideways and run towards the sideline side a little bit to get outside just like Zeke does. 
So I, I think I fit perfectly in that offense, and, and I really took that into play uh, when it came to making my decision. And uh, you know that that I, I think is a perfect fit for me. Yes, but can you so, can you jump over a defender? That's the question we have. Can you, can you, can you leave <laughs> well, defenders? Actually, actually, the team we are playing this week in the playoffs is a team that likes to hit really low, so I've been practicing it this week. So we'll see. <laughs> Good. Good. No, we're glad to hear that, and I hope we get some highlights to that effect. <laughs> That'll be pretty great. Uh, so, so I was looking at your stats. 4-4-2, uh, which is, like, really good, obviously. 220 pounds. Uh, are you the kind of guy, do you feel comfortable? You know, you talked a little bit about um, your pass-catching ability when Berm talked to you for the uh, – the uh, the interview that you did with Eleven Warriors for the writing stuff. Um, talk a little bit more about that pass catching ability. Are, are you comfortable just like maybe at the backfield? Do you run routes? I mean, how do you feel about that? Uh, I do anything. You know, you can put me at uh, receiver. I'll run that. You can put me at the backfield. It doesn't really matter. I think I actually have close to 400 receiving yards this season. So that's wow. a stat. That, that's a stat that I, it doesn't really get spoken about. But um, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable catching the ball. Uh, send me deep, I'm comfortable. Send me over the middle, uh, send me at the backfield. You know, I, in order to be a great football player, not just running back, I feel like you have to be able to do things with that man. You know, Antonio, one of the the keys to getting playing time at Ohio State is you have to be willing to put it all on the line on special teams for Urban Meyer. That's a big thing with him. And I was wondering if you had like a, a particular type of special teams that you you know, would like to be on? Would you like to cover kicks or cover punts or, or return? Or what What do you see yourself, you know, trying to do to throw your name in the hat to get early playing time? Oh, I like, I actually like playing on the uh, punt team. I do that now. And I've down two kicks inside the, um, inside the team. So, uh, you know, nice. I hustle down and I, and I do what I can to help the team in any way that I possibly can. You know, another thing I was kind of curious about, and this is something that I, I asked, a lot of the recruits when they come on and we interview them, uh, how does that relationship develop with the coaches? I mean, I know you talk to like, you know, coach Alfred and, and coach Meyer and whatnot, but how does that get started? I mean, how does that initial contact get made? They just kind of like, do they text you and just say, Hey man, what's up? Or is it more formal than that? And kind of leads into a more like comfortable relationship. Um, well, honestly, it depends on the coach you're talking about. Like coach Alfred's the guy he's gonna, he was more formal about it. Um, and then I've talked to other coaches where they're just like, hey, man, what's up? You know, we want you, blah, blah, blah. I, I think right. that kind of just uh, depends on the coach and their personality. Yeah, because I was – we were on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if it was today or yesterday. I think it might have been yesterday. Uh, one of the former Michigan, I think, running backs was talking about um, how Brady Hoke, like, fell asleep on his couch, basically. You know what <laughs> I mean? And, like, do you, yeah. there is there anything like that? Do coaches just get that comfortable and just Hell chill yeah. out? Yeah, that's uh, that's how it has to be. Uh, I feel like because you got to realize, I mean, you're you're going to be four years with these guys, maybe five right. years. You know, you're you're putting your life basically in their hands. They're guiding you. You have to be comfortable comfortable enough with them to 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 get to that point where they can just fall asleep on your couch or something like that. That's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, you got a lot of offers from a lot of great schools, great football teams. Um, and you were committed to Wisconsin for a while, now committed to Ohio State. Um, when you, you know, being from the South, is the perception of the Big Ten starting to change? We're starting to see more high, you know, high-grade recruits come north to the Big Ten. Is, is that something that's starting to change in your mind? Oh, yeah, you can, you can kind of feel it down here, actually, instead of just, you know, seeing it and hearing about it. Uh, mm-hmm. People talk about the Big Ten now, down here in North Carolina, at least, like they talk about the SEC. And uh, for us to be in that, you know, that ranks and as high as the SEC is, is uh, you know, as high as they are put on the pedestal, I think the Big Ten is right there with them. It's not, you know, higher now. Do you think that's a result maybe of, like, you know, the Sugar Bowl last year maybe? Um, I think that's just a result of everyone progressing. You know, that's – and, okay. of course, the Sugar Bowl had a had a big impact on that. But at the same time, I think it's just a product of everything getting better. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing I want to ask you. You talked a little about with Berm, like you, you're looking into, you know, psychology or philosophy as part of your, you know, academic experience at Ohio State. What what made you think about those two things? I think that's really interesting. You don't hear that a lot, honestly. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I'm the type of guy that I, I think there's about every day I have an hour or an hour and a half that I'll just sit on my bed and <laughs> I don't do anything but just think. And some people may think that's crazy. They're like, what is he doing? But, <laughs> you know, I, I like thinking, man. I just like trying to understand yeah. things that other people do not 
understand. I, I like thinking about things that you have, you know, you see it every day, but you think nothing of it. That's how I am. I'm, I'm the type of person that pays very close detail to things that we overlook. And, and me thinking, you know, that's just something that I feel like would be great, uh, philosophy, psychology, that type of thing. I feel like that'd be great for me to go into. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Ohio State that, you know, the the stuff that's available, right, because it's such a huge college, I think that's really good for, like, a deep thinker like yourself is going to have a lot of opportunities at Ohio State. So I think that's a really, that's a really smart choice on your part. Um, what was, what, uh, was there anything else about the, you know, you talked about your connections with the coaches and whatnot. How are the facilities at Ohio State? I mean, did they compare to some of the other places that you have been checking out? <laughs> no, they, no, they don't compare. No, it's, it's not close. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, I don't know. You can't really explain it. It's like, um, going from a high school to a college. So, I mean, you can't really, you can't really compare right. that because Ohio State is, is the Ohio State University and there's a reason right. that. You know, they are who they are. Well, Antonio, I'm really glad to hear that you're a deep thinker because um, that's that's we want smart people to come to Ohio State, and uh, and that's a, that's a big thing. So one question I had for you actually is um, it has nothing to do with thinking at all. It's uh, I want I want to know what the, you don't have to name any names. I want to know the the weirdest thing that has happened to you on the, out on the recruiting trail with 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 a coach or a or a you know somebody from one of the universities. What's the weirdest thing that's happened? Again, you don't have to name any names. Oh, <laughs> hold on, you got to give me a second on that one. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I was sitting. This was this was when I was getting the offer from a school. I went in the coach's office, and I don't know why this stood out to me, but. And the coach was sitting there, and he had his legs. Instead of just propped up on the desk, he had them kind of propped up and wide open with, with no shoes <laughs> on and no socks on. So his toes are out, and his legs are wide open. And I'm just kind of – me and my dad are sitting there, and I'm like, um, uh, what, what's going on? And then he kind of told me, you know, they wanted to offer me. So I was like, thank you. Um, I mean, I don't really know how to accept. Do I shake your hand? Do I shake your foot? I mean, I don't know. So I mean, that was that was kind of interesting for me. It was it was Harbaugh, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. Because <laughs> I got out. No, I swear to God, that's the first thing that popped in my head was Jim Harbaugh sitting cactus cut off shorts. All right, fair enough. Uh, so Antonio Williams, seriously, thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, that was excellent, and uh, we wish you all luck in the future, dude. We're expi- we're excited to have you on the uh, on the team. Oh yeah, I'm excited, man. Thank you. Thanks again for Antonio Williams and, of course, Matt Finkus for joining us tonight. Both were excellent. And Antonio Williams, i got to tell you something. Sometimes some of these recruit interviews do not go super well. That's true. <laughs> but, but this one went incredibly well. Yeah, he was good. And i got to tell you, that's, that's got to be maybe in the top two or three recruit interviews that we've done. I, I really enjoy talking to Antonio Williams. He's a really interesting young man. Yeah, that was stellar. He's a, he's a, he's a, a great kid. You can tell he's, he's very thoughtful. And, um, you know, you don't hear of a lot of people wanting to go into their football players wanting to go into philosophy or psychology. Yeah, that's cool. I really like that. So speaking of, of these questions of these deep thinking questions, <laughs> I, I have one for you, Michael Citro. I shall do my best. All right. So I gave an assignment to my students a couple of days ago, and I had them read an excerpt from The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And okay. we kind of did a compare and contrast. We talked about how the meat was handled uh, versus how the workers are being treated. And we talked about that and whatever. And it was real gross because they talked about rat poop on the meat and stuff like that. And that's always fun to discuss with students. So it got me thinking, Michael, what was your favorite book that you were forced to read during high school? That's a great question. And, and it's funny because I, I the ones that I think start out thinking these, this is going to be stupid are the ones I end up liking the most. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, Animal Farm by George Orwell. Nice. Um, I really, I, I really liked it. In fact, it was one of two books that I, I actually read a year in advance because I knew I was going to have to read it the next year, and I wanted to get a jump on it. And I was, I'm like, I've always been a voracious reader, so I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to have to read this next year. Let me read it now, and then I'll read it again next year, and I'll refresh my memory, and I'll get good grades because I'll remember all this crap. Yeah. And the other book that I did that with was Fahrenheit 451, which is another fantastic book. Um, yeah. Ray Bradbury. But yeah, something about Animal Farm, I, I think I've read it about four or five times since I graduated from high school, too, because it, it's just a really great, well-written book, and it's and I catch something new 
some new wrinkle or new nuance every time I read it and like something else clicks into place and then I understand what the, what the writer was trying to do. And, and right. it's just one of those timeless classics. Yeah. It's probably my favorite George Orwell book. I know people like 1984, but I really like animal farm uh, just cause I'm a sucker for <laughs> animals talking and walking and, yeah. and making political, you know, political metaphors and whatnot. I would say the one that I really enjoyed the most, and actually I take that back. I don't think I enjoyed it at all when I read it, but in okay. retrospect, I'm really glad that I did because I, I think it it definitely shifted my perspective on what reading was about. Because I was when I was a kid, I hated reading fiction or basically anything that wasn't historical fiction, yeah. and I didn't like allegorical types of reading. So I, first of all, I read The Great Gatsby in high school, and I loved that, and that's one of my favorite books. But I think one of the ones that stuck with me the most and that I can remember the emotions that I felt as I read it was Grendel. And I really enjoyed reading that, and it just – I guess, again, I didn't enjoy it, but it made me think a lot. It made me upset, and I I still remember you know, those feelings, and I, I, it really stuck with me. So I think that's maybe one of the most valuable books that I read. So Grendel, and of course The Great Gatsby, which is an unbelievable book. That that final page of The Great Gatsby always gets me. But yeah, so I, you know what? Sometimes kids like complain, like, I don't want to read. High school reading's crappy. I don't. I disagree. I think sometimes you can get some really good things out what of it. What was that so, thing? Reading is fundamental. Riff. It is fundamental. Yeah, remember, those old commercials, Riff. Reading is fundamental. Fundamental. Uh, you know, so it was Grendel was the name of the book? Yeah, Grendel. Okay, because I, I haven't read that, and I haven't read Beowulf, so. Yeah, so it's based, it, it, it's, it was written, I think, in the 1970s, and it's Beowulf written from the perspective of Grendel. I gotcha. And it's, it's really interesting. It can be read in a lot of different ways, and, you know, the more you know about the author, the more you can kind of know about the novel itself, but it is a really interesting book. I don't know that it's a good book necessarily, but it's interesting. It made me think a lot in high school and I appreciate that. I appreciate Mrs. Williams assigning it to us because, you know, I think it made me a better reader and a better writer overall. So I appreciate that. And guess what? That's the 11 Dubcast. Yeah, we did it. We did. It's done. It's over forever, at least until next week. Yep. And then we have Michigan state and then we have Michigan and that's when things start to get super duper real. So until then, I am Johnny Ginner. I am Michael Citro in search of an Illabuck. All right. We'll see you next week. Peace.